For me, cooking is an expression of the land where you are and the culture of that place. And that was said once by Wolfgang Puck. In the past, as we mentioned before, to learn about a culture's food is to learn about their culture. Here's a few examples. Did you know that Swedish meatballs aren't from originally from Sweden? It's actually from Turkey. Mm. Or that English muffins were actually from the U.S. and have a Welsh influence? Um, they're actually, if you didn't know, they're actually a version of a, of a British crumpet, which the British crumpet is much superior to our English muffins, by the way. And another one is, we mentioned this before, but Chinese fortune cookies, they were invented in good old San Francisco, California. We talked about that that San Francisco, uh, 100-year-old San Francisco cookie factory, too. Anyways, but as always, I've gone a little off track. Today, what we want to do is we do want to talk about foods and talk about cultures, but we want to talk about seasonal foods. We've done this in the past. And nothing tells you more about a culture and their weather than the seasonal foods. If they eat a lot of preserves during the winter, it's likely they have cold weather and it may not be conducive to plant growth. Um, And I'm putting this out here now. I know it's fall, but I hope I don't hear anything really on pumpkin spice today. (laughs) because that's so overplayed i mean she there was actually an article i recently read that all the retailers that sell stuff with pumpkin spice flavor actually charge um 10 more for that product so if it's like an apple uh apple pie pumpkin spice it's actually 10 more and they're able to charge that premium and people will buy it for the it's the pumpkin spice tax yeah, it is the pumpkin spice tax. <laughs> That's good. Anyways, I am Zen, and this is a Meet Us in Paris podcast. The podcast about all things travel, be it destinations, food, having an amazing time, or what to pack for your next trip. And with me today is Kristen, as you've heard. Hello, and I actually have never been a huge fan of pumpkin spice lattes, so you're Thank clear goodness. to Fun fact about me. <laughs> I'm not a fan either. How about you, Tanya? Hi, um, I am not either. I'm not a, a pumpkin sp- anything. Um, I'll, maybe pumpkin, but not pumpkin spice. So, hey, look at that. The three well, of us. Maybe we won't hear pumpkin spice this time. No, you, not for me. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to look up something pumpkin just to spite you. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our third one. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about two or three different uh, different foods from around the world that obviously isn't going to be, uh, doesn't have pumpkin spice. But we have one more introduction before we begin. It's our sponsor, the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing education. Meet Us in Paris is sponsored by the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education. Do you have an educational goal? At UCI DCE, we're here to help. With over 60 certificate programs available, we've helped over a quarter million students reach their goals, and we can help you reach yours too. You can find us at ce.uci.edu. Dream big, take risks, be amazing. Tanya, I'm going to make you go first today. Okay, so <laughs> I like the executive decision. Yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. All right. So, but what I chose is something I've wanted to try because I think it's pretty. Um, it's called chiles en nogada, and it's a Mexican dish, and it's it's um, a poblano chile chile. Yes, a, a big pepper, um, mm-hmm. and it's just really beautifully decorated. But 
that's not the point. Chiles en hogada translates to chiles and walnut sauce. And the plate symbolizes kind of like the mesh of religions and traditions um, in that area of Mexico, like five centuries ago. So it's a regional dish that's served around the country in autumn. And it originated in Puebla, which is midpoint between Mexico City and the port of Veracruz, which, if you think back, is a gateway um, between Spain and kind of like when they were conquered, which is not a good thing. But besides that, anyway, it, it was like kind of the door to open up to new ingredients and such. So and within Puebla, there's a small community called Calpan. And that's where it's dedicated, like our Central Valley in California, all the production of vegetables and fruit. So all the ingredients of this dish are grown there. So I'm going to go into what it contains um, and then tell you what it looks like, which is really cool. So the recipe um, is, it's pretty simple, but at the same time, there's a lot of work. (laughs) Simple ingredients, ground beef and pork, you know, sauteed like in puree and tomato puree. And then you add different things like chopped nuts and onions and carrots and potatoes, but they add a flavor of their local peaches, apples, and pears, but yet it's not sweet. It's supposed Hmm. to have a hint. So then you add all that filling to a mildly, you know, poblano, um, spicy poblano chile, a pepper that is slowly fire roasted. And then you finish it with a Mexican cream that's been blended with walnuts, again, grown there, and a touch of cinnamon. And the goal is to make the cream as white as possible. And then it's all poured over the dish and sprinkled with pomegranate seeds. So it's beautiful. And it's a staple um, kind of uh, because it has a three colors of the flag. It's kind of like almost um, like a margarita out of Italy. <laughs> Is it? Is that what a margarita out of Italy? I'm the, missing something. The, the uh, it, Italian pizza called a margarita. Oh, okay. I thought a margarita have, drink. Sorry, has yes. The green, white, exactly. and red. Yes. Yeah. So it's almost like a patriotic dish, which they do um, sometimes make in those kind of you know not really patriotic days so it kind of goes into i like it is because it has like sight smell taste touch it has all those kind of sensory things um, items um and then it's it's sort of like a mix of different spanish and indigenous kind of flavors and um again the mexican flag i if you look at a a picture it's just a beautiful dish and i've never tried it so when this was our topic i thought okay i'm going to go find out what it is and it sounds really good um the 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 fruits don't i don't think that would be something i like but i looked at several sites in different places and it's not supposed to taste sweet so i'm gonna try it somewhere <laughs> that's that and that was mexico and because it is a a, a product or a, a staple of the region in this time of year in the fall okay Kristen, you're next okay um so i chose a dish and this would be french or german um it's a little bit of both. Um, it's from the Alsace region that is currently France. Um, if there's one thing I remember in my French classes in high school, for some reason, the Alsace region of France constantly went back and forth between being owned by Germany and France. 
Um, and that's where Strasbourg is. So you probably um, know Strasbourg, France. Of course, that's a very German name, Strasbourg, yeah. because it used to be Germany. So it is a huge melange of French and German culture there. So they have what in German is the Flammekuche, or in French, um, the Tarte Flambe. So this is what they actually refer to as France's pizza. And if you look it up, it looks like a pretty amazing, like a gourmet pizza that you would get like in Europe. So um, it's something that's pretty much done in the fall season um, because it's like a warm, it's supposed to warm you up on a chilly day. Um, it has a thin bread dough base, creme fraiche, um, and then it's got onions and bacon um, and then like some like green toppings like basil. Um, but it's very simple. It's usually wood fired. Um, it's often served on like the, you know, like those wooden platters that they like shove in the, <laughs> the oven and bring right yes, out. Yes, uh -huh. um, yeah, and it is a specialty of the Alsace region of France. And there is, if you like research this, there's this one um, restaurant in Strasbourg called uh, L'Ancien Douane, which looks like it's really famous and really popular. And that's like where you go to get um, this in particular, if you want kind of the five-star version of it. Um, the name itself translates to pie baked in the flames. So <laughs> too long you don't read pizza, <laughs> if you ask me. Um, sounds the same. And uh, the original recipe has a lot of variations now. So some of these are Cratine, which adds the Gruyere cheese, uh, Forestier, which adds mushroom, Munster, which, as you can imagine, adds Munster cheese. Mm -hmm. And then they even make a sweet dessert version with apples and cinnamon um, or blueberries. And they also sometimes add a sweet liqueur to it as well. So it's almost like it makes me think of like France's... Um, like the BJ's restaurant where you, you know, here you get the, like the deep dish BJ's pizza, but then you also get the uh, pizookie <laughs> at the end. Oh. <laughs> so I exactly. imagine like getting the tart flambe and then ending it with like the sweet version of the same thing. But Have you had that? Have you eaten it, Kristen? The tart flambe? Yeah, this this thing or you're talking pizookie. about. That I, yeah. <laughs> the pizookie, yeah, I've definitely had pizookie. Um, I have not, not that I recall. I don't think so. It actually did remind me of like the dinner crepes that you would get in, in France. So oh, okay, yeah. I think most people, we associate crepes with like the, the dessert ones, the small ones where you, the Nutella and honey and sugar right. and banana. But and yeah. Yeah. In France, it's really popular to have those as like dinner foods as well. So they would have sauces and, and potatoes and meat. And so and to mushrooms. me, that was like yeah. the really hearty comfort, like winter food. So oh, yum, yeah. it looks like that to me, but I don't think I've had this one specifically okay. no and especially not from Strasbourg which had I known would have sought that out when I was there but it sounds hard like really like comfort food yeah and what's funny is when you look it up too it's it's like very thin it looks like a super thin crust pizza so to me it feels like hearty and satisfying and comforting but without being like too much like, I feel like you wouldn't get loaded down with, like, thick, bready carbs. It looks like <laughs> the perfect French version of it. <laughs> that sounds very or German in the Alsace region. So, yeah. 
Yes. And you know, I feel like it's something that we might've seen, but it goes under a different name elsewhere. Oh, okay. It's called Uh, pizza. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Go back to that. Yeah, probably. How dare you? Maybe they have a pumpkin spice tarp. Oh no. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) That'll be the sweet version. All right. That's fine. Okay. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I think I mentioned it with the festival. It I'm going to talk a little bit more about mooncakes again. Um, oh, yes. That was on my list as well. I love them. Yeah. Mooncakes are a Chinese thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are served traditionally. It's a Cantonese area, um, mostly eaten in southern China. Um, and it's to celebrate the mid-autumn festival. And they are roughly, I'll describe them, they're roughly the size of a hockey puck. Um, they're brown in nature, very glossy, because they, they must put egg on top of it before they bake them. So this is a sweet type of pastry. Um, and usually they're very ornamental on the top. You'll see sometimes flowers and lotus leaves and, you know, like um, Chinese symbols, fortune and that type of thing. They're very, very beautiful. So it's a little bit of a pastry on the outside. On the inside, it has a filling which is typically like a red bean paste. A red bean paste, if you're not familiar with it, is a certain type of bean that has been mushed, not unlike maybe like a a, um, refried bean paste, Uh but it has a slightly different flavor. The color is reddish black in color, and it's sweetened, so it's very sweet. And they put that on the inside, and then when they bake it, it actually hardens to something that's firm, not soft like refried beans. Um, Also, typically, I've seen is they will put in a cooked uh, egg, um, uh, egg, also an yolk, an egg yolk in the middle of it. So when you cut them in half, you'll just see like a moon in the middle of the mooncake. Oh, okay. So I don't know if that's why they call them mooncakes, but that's why, but you'll see that typically in the middle of the mooncake. And um, so they're, they're wonderful. They're very interesting. Oh, and also that yolk is, what is that yolk? The yolk is typically um, salted. So when you eat the darn thing, you get this kind of little bit of savory, you get a little bit of salty, and then you get the sweetness. But in general, it's a sweet kind of, um, it's a sweet kind of food. Good with tea. And they're like beautiful, like the tops of them are very intricate. The design, yeah. mm-hmm. it doesn't look like a bread that, I don't know, you slapped a flower on top or you kind of worked a flower into it. Like it is like, looks like a carving on top. They almost had to put them in, I, I don't know how they make them, but they must be made in molds of some Right? Yeah, shape. they look very precise. Yeah. Where can we get them here in, in like California? Do you know? Oh yeah, they're really easy. I'm you sure, go yeah. into any Chinese grocery store around now, or if you go into around like, now, um, so because of the fall, um, yeah. festival, eighty-five degrees. Actually, Costco oh. sells their own version of. Eighty-five degrees. I have very close. Okay. Yeah, um, Costco will sell them. Um, the because there's a large Chinese Asian community in Orange County, right? Um, and they'll sell ones out of Asia. They actually import them from Asia somewhere, um, and they're really good. And they actually bring in. The Costco brings in the premium stuff too, like the really high end expensive stuff too. <laughs> so they're they're really good. Sometimes they'll be filled instead of that red bean, they'll have like a lotus paste too, which mm-hmm. is very similar in texture, but the flavor is slightly different. Mm-hmm. So and I've talked about um it's really a festival that's 
um, it's a festival that's celebrating the mythical goddess um, of immortality. And I've mentioned in the past podcast, I'm not going to go over that again, but it's a, it's a story about love and two gods and immortality. And um, it's kind of like a, a where two gods can't get, cannot be together. And these are offered in offer to his wife who is dead anyways. <laughs> sad. I mean, it's sad, but you'll you, you just yeah. listen to the old podcast or look it up. Um, it's really interesting. Well, I probably mentioned this before, but it always takes me back to when I read Joy Luck Club as a kid. And I just, I loved that book. And there is a whole chapter um, and the little girl character, she's, she's Chinese. She's growing up in China in like the twenties and her whole, her little story is all about her celebrating the mid autumn festival and looking forward to the mooncakes and all of that. And so I just remember being a little kid, like I have to find these mooncakes. These sound amazing. What are they? And like begging my parents to get me a mooncake, like as a little kid. And so they always remind me of that book and how much I love learning about Chinese culture through that. That makes me want to go read it again. That sounds oh, like yeah, cause if there's a movie, right? Of course, but I'm yeah. sure it, yeah. they don't yeah. probably it's sold. They probably don't go into that part. That's I don't remember. Yeah, them showing that one, but I could how be wrong. cool! That's you know, it's funny because I have a friend whose son um, watches Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like. Kung Fu Panda, Kung Fu Panda, I gotta eat these boughs. Because Kung Fu Panda's always eating the little bread boughs and they make oh. the bread boughs. And yeah. so like he's like, I got it. So finally he had a chance to try it and he was severely disappointed. Oh okay. no. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, because they're just essentially as good as in the movies. Yeah, they're steamed pasties, essentially British pasties, but steamed instead. But oh, um funny. but he, he didn't know what to make of them. So he's like, because Kung Fu Panda's always talking about boughs and he finally got to eat it, but yeah, I love him. But I, every time we talk about food, I say we've got to go somewhere together. But we'll know, it's hard to do a food one without having food in front of me. Oh, yeah, I, 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 what is it? Maybe there's a reason for us to celebrate soon, and and that might be the reason to get together and get some wonderful food. Just sounds so good. <laughs> okay, um, okay. So me, so I'm. This is sort of cheating, but not. I'm going to say no. I'm going to talk about sangria, but pomegranate sangria, because pomegranate is season. And I think that every holiday gathering needs a pitcher, a bowl, or a barrel of pomegranate sangria. And um, it's kind of like it's autumn in Spain, but it's Halloween here, so we could have that little Halloween spin on it and say that it's named for the dark color, um, the red wine, like the drink, because the word sangria in Spanish is blood. And that sangria, well, sangre is blood and sangria is bloodletting. Never put that together before. I know I didn't either until now because I was trying to, I know. So then because of the dark color and so forth, but, the, what I found really interesting is that the roots of it is in Roman times when, when you know, the, the water was like not filtered and everything was yucky. That's a, a professional right, right. yucky. Um, <laughs> kill off the bacteria. They would, add, <laughs> they would add alcohol to the water 
to kill some of it. And that's how it sort of started. Then people started adding herbs and spices to disguise some of the flavor. Sometimes the wine wasn't very good. So it all eventually turned into sangria, what we have now. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then it was introduced to the U.S. in 1964 at the New York um, World's Fair at a, a pavilion, a Spain pavilion called Taberna Madrid Kiosk. And since then, we've been, you know, drinking it. Um, I have a favorite sangria that I make um, from the author, who's hilarious, Nigella Lawson. Do you know her? She's a, no. a food writer and television um, like celebrity, but she's English. So it's hilarious that that's the one I like, the English version. Um, but so, and whenever we have like a gathering, which you guys, we, we talked about with my friend Martha, like we'll have this when we do get together. And I mean, it's a basic, simple recipe, but instead of like the sugar, we put pomegranate juice and it, you know, that we yes. try. And it's, you know, but um, Nigella adds uh, brandy. One fourth of brandy and, you know, lemon, orange, um, the, you know, the, the wine, it depends on, you know, a variety is just kind of something sweet. And if it's too, if it's too strong, then you would add some soda water. But, you know, I think what makes it very fun is the brandy. And then you have to leave the pitcher with, um, um, what is it, overnight, the brandy, a little bit of sugar and the pomegranate overnight and then the next day is when you put it all together and i think some magical thing happens because then it's delicious so let me see is there anything else no but the bloodletting part was where i was like what never heard of it yeah so that's kind of a dark backstory there i know it's weird so i think in both my dishes had pomegranate so i guess that's a theme for me wow is pomegranate like a fall yeah, I see it here in the States um, a lot in the fall. Because I remember being little and loving that it was Halloween and I could eat a pomegranate. It must oh, be the okay. weather, like, because it's the season to pick them like apples, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. maybe. That's mm-hmm. my guess. But yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I keep looking for them. Is it, are they here? Are they here? I, I bet you they'll be here now this this time I go to the supermarket. Yeah. Farmer's they're very market. messy, but they're good. Do you ever um, empty one out using the spanking method? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you know? Have you seen this? So a stinky method. Spanking method. Oh. <laughs> so what you do is you slice a pomegranate in half, and you kind of just roll it slightly with your hand, and then you just take a wooden spoon and you smack the damn thing, uh-huh. and all the little red seeds will drop out. Okay, I'm going to do that, and if I make a mess, I'm calling you. Just, okay, before you do it, <laughs> Google it. It's like okay. spink of pomegranate with a spoon or something like that. And look okay. it up on YouTube. And it's amazing because, you know, like my wife and I, my wife and my kid love it, love pomegranates. And, you know, you can buy actually just the seeds in like a jar and yes. it's so expensive. Here they are. And then one day I came across this thing. It's like, no, this is not real. And then I did it. It's like, oh my God, it's like a TikTok, but it actually can, it's true. Okay. <laughs> I am going to do it and I will let you know. Yeah. I'm of going tomorrow grocery shopping. So. Yeah. And it won't, it kind of puts, you know, it will put a little juice around, but my wife loves it. She, she takes out all of her aggressions on the, uh, the pomegranate. So. <laughs> all right. Well, good. That's a good tip. Okay. Who's up? It was you, Tanya. Oh, okay. I can't remember. Um, 
So I've mentioned before, uh, I love soups. Yes. I do not need it to be fall to eat a gosh darn soup or a stew, but it sure tastes better in the fall and is so much more comforting um, and enjoyable when it's cold out. Uh, so you've probably, everyone's probably heard of borscht. Yep. Um, I think we, everyone mostly associates it with Russia. It seems its place of origin is actually Ukraine, but um, it is associated as a national cuisine with a lot of those Eastern European Slavic regions um, everywhere from like Russia and Estonia down to Romania and Moldova. So um, the it's, it's classified as a sour soup um, and it's made with beetroots. So one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about it that I find so interesting is that it seems that borscht is actually so popular that you have it year round and it's just in the winter you heat it up and in the summer you eat it cold. Oh. And I remember when, so when I was in Russia, um, some friends that I made like volunteered to show me around. This was in St. Petersburg and they took me to this really cool I guess it was a restaurant, but it was actually more like a cafeteria. And so they were taking me around and explaining to me all the different varieties of all these foods and everything they had. And then, of course, they're like, oh, you know, borscht, you like have to have that. You haven't had it. I had it. I was very skeptical because it's like uh, beets are kind of weird. And you, we normally have them like in salads here. So I was worried about what it was going to be like warm. I kind of envisioned it being like almost like a jello consistency. And I was like, oh, God. Um but it was not. And they, they even told me, like, in the summer, we just have it cold. And it was shockingly so delicious. It's very hearty. It is a really new flavor, I think, because the beetroots are such a primary ingredient. Um, but you get a lot of, like, beans and tomatoes and potato in there as well. And then one of their favorite things to do, I think, is to dollop in that sour cream. And it has such a hearty thick um like consistency it's just it's very comforting and it's like a weird mix between a soup and a stew i guess depending on how much sour cream you put in and that always makes me laugh because one of my best friends uh she is first generation ukrainian and i remember asking her once like what is ukrainian food like i hadn't heard of like ukrainian dishes and she's thought about it and she just goes just sour cream like <laughs> whatever you make you put sour cream on it and it'll be ukrainian um, so I thought that, that was funny, but um, you've got red beetroots is kind of the main ingredient. It has a distinctive red color, um, but it looks like borscht is also used to describe a lot of sour tasting soups, even without beetroots. Um, so there's sorrel based, green borscht, rye based, white borscht and cabbage borscht. This is really hard to say <laughs> one after the other I say borscht so often, Um but apparently it, it comes from, it's derived from an ancient soup originally cooked from pickled stems, leaves, and umbels of common hogweed. That sounds like something they would have made at Hogwarts. Um, <laughs> herbaceous plant growing in damp meadows, which lent the dish its Slavic name. 
So with time, it has evolved into a diverse array of tart soups, um, among which the Ukrainian beet-based red borscht has become the most popular. Um, it's also made with meat and bone stock or sautéed vegetables. Um, and depending on the recipe, it could include meat or fish or be purely vegetarian. Um, so all this to say that no matter what time of year you find yourself in uh, Eastern Europe, you can have borscht and you can experience it hot or cold. Um, it does sound like kind of the most popular, like the most... I don't want to call authentic, but the real borscht that we think of is the one with beetroots and it's the red one, but there's all those different variations. Highly recommend. And um, you can suit to your liking with the sour cream as well. Obviously. It <laughs> I, sounds amazing. Cause I'm also, I love soup. I'm making some tonight. <laughs> are you making borscht or just soup? Um, um, what was that? I said, are you making borscht? No, just I, no, okay. just soup. But um, yeah. I remember reading about this and wanting to try it because I like just making. It's just that it's probably very um, messy to make. Yeah, <laughs> but, sure. um, but it is, and it looks a little complicated because there's so many different versions of it. I was just looking it up, but it looks amazing, amazing. I When I was reading, it had like beef shank. So oh, yeah. that must be amazing. So anyway, I'm just having like vegetables. It's, it's the beets that kind of make me pause to make it, mainly because I remember with my daughter, one of the first foods, you know, when they get off the bottle, you can start pureeing foods and feeding mm -hmm. them vegetables. And one of the first ones we gave her were beets. And we chose it because it's kind of sweet and we thought it would be more attractive to her. Uh -huh. Like it'd be more flavorful than like freaking potato or whatever. Yeah. Um, and she loved them, but oh my gosh, they stain everything. Oh, yeah. Exactly. yeah. We would be like, like washing her face, like having to scrub it because the beet juice stained it at the table. So yeah, it does make me a little bit nervous. <laughs> yeah. Oh that must be, yeah. I would love to go to a, like an authentic, I don't know what we would call it, Russian or, or Slavic Russian yeah, where they yeah. would make these. I was looking as you were talking and oh, yeah. there's a few delis, but I'd like a restaurant restaurant. So yeah, you're right. We get like the delis. That's uh -huh. like most of what you find out here. That's yeah. True. I'm wondering if like downtown LA or LA, the Valley, right, right. I might have more of a concentrated population that would have it. For have sure. you been to it's Moscow Deli off a of Harbor? No, I know I have not. It's it so there's a yeah Moscow Deli um, of Harbor off of, of Orange County. It's um, near the Target on Harbor, and that's where a lot huh. of the Russians go to, uh, or people who like Russian food. That's where you get all the good candies and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so one of my friends good. is a Russian prof Rus Russian literature professor, so she lets me know where all the good places are. Oh, wow. Who's your, who's your Russian literature professor? We'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, never mind. Okay, no. I think Zen is next, and that was a beautiful story about soup. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I got uh, I got one aside, and then I'll go into mine. Okay. Um, Kristen, you were talking about, um, oh, gosh, the wine. Um, what what was your drink that it was used to clean up the – wait, no, no, it was you, Tanya. Tanya. Yeah, Tanya, you ta were talking about – Sangria. Um, Sangria, it was to so you can drink the water. Yeah, so they put in the the the, the water was like um, you know dirty. And, right, right, okay. And so they so, put alcohol and spices and different things and wine and things. Have you guys ever had kvass? Oh no, um, I don't think so. That's isn't that Kv like a wine? 
No, not is it kava? There's there's a Russian it's kava. Drink. The wine kavas must be something else. Okay, uh-huh. it, it's, no, I have it. maybe I'm mispronouncing it, but um, there's something in Russia where they take burnt rye bread and then they soak it in water and they let sit for a couple of days, and then the rye bread has yeast and stuff like that, and it will actually turn it mildly alcoholic, and then they drink that water. And it also will have a little bit of sweet flavor, and you can get it. And when you mentioned that, that it was designed to clean up the water, this is something as well, it's lightly alcoholic, just enough to kill off all the germs in the water, but you can drink it. So I love that you know this stuff. Uh, you know what? The only reason I know this is there's a local place that you can get. I know had some friends who were Russian, and and so I learned their food. So I would go to the place, and it's like, what is? I'm one of these people. It's like, what is that? I need to know what that is. And I bought a bottle of it, and it's like, oh my god, this is a very interesting kind of flavor. And then of course I had to learn about the history of why do they make this stuff, and why does it taste like rye bread? Um. Anyways. Okay. So that, I wonder if that goes with um with the soup that Kristen talked about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So yeah. So anyways, it's uh yeah, it's kvass, Russian fermented rye bread drink. Anyways, um, I guess I should talk about what I wanted to talk about, yeah. which is th- this is an pumpkin American spice thing. Lattes. <laughs> How about apple pie? Pumpkin pumpkin spice apple pies? No, apple pies. <laughs> Okay. Mm, nothing more American than apple pie. Nothing more American than apple pie, except yeah. it's not American. Of course <laughs> no. it's not. <laughs> I'm not so, surprised. So first of all, um, apples are not indigenous to North America. They were Wait, brought- what about Johnny Appleseed? Well, he spread them, but they weren't. That's why he was able to put apple seeds all over the United States. They weren't naturally there. So the thing is that they were actually um, the uh, apples were brought over. The only apples they had in North America were crab apples. So the Europeans brought apple tree cuttings and seeds with them, and so it was actually brought over to the United States and apple pie um uh, is actually is not even necessarily you know some people thought it was kind of a british thing but it actually comes from uh it's like an english dutch and swedish kind of food but the american version is a specific america it's a different version than everyone else had because lots of them they didn't add sugar to it etc etc some of them were more like pastries like we think of the dutch pastries with apples in them which are fantastic but american is a unique version of an apple pastry Mm -hmm. um but apples were not native to north america and that was one of the things that really made me laugh because Nothing's more American than apple pie, except <laughs> yeah, it's not that's, American, exactly. right? that's what, Yeah, that's what you just said, but okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, anyways, it, it's. I, I thought that was interesting. It's the world's shortest, <laughs> shortest fall food, but yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I guess I could expound upon it. One of the things that the British had was their fruit pies were not uncommon. So the first... 
one that was recorded for an apple pie was from 1381 in England, but they had other things other than apples. So they had things like figs, raisins, pears, saffron, um, oh. also apples. And so, you know, they would also bake the darn thing. And they also, as I mentioned, they weren't, they allowed the fruits um, exude their own natural sugars. There wasn't any additional sugar added to it. And then also it was, um, I don't know how to, how to say the, the pastry crust was what, what they call a coffin pastry. Have you guys, are you familiar coffin with this? Coffin pastry? Like dead coffin? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. okay. So with here's my the, sangria. Okay. This is what a coffin pastry is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pastry that is not intended to be eaten. So you can cook fish in a coffin pastry. You put a piece of fish onto like a onto a slate or on a cooking um, like a cooking board, and then what you do is you make a um, paste. You'll make like pastry of flour, water, but you add a lot of salt and stuff like that. And then what you'll do is you'll cover the fish with this pastry and then you stick it into the oven. And what it does is it allows, um, and it won't rise. It will actually be hard because there's no leavening agent in it. But what it does is it essentially makes a small oven on top of the fish and allows the fish to cook in its own juices and stuff like that. So what, then you break it open with like a hammer and then you eat the fish that's within, but you throw away the pastry coffin um, because that's not to be eaten. It was designed to help cook the fish. Well, the same thing with the early pies was that they would put down the fruits. You build this coffin pastry around it and essentially cook it, break that's it open, cool. and then okay. you would eat the cooked fruits within um, on the on the inside. That's um, that sounds really good, but complicated. It's <laughs> hard. I mean, all you're doing is just making a pastry, just pa- flour dough, and then without leavening agent, and just put it over it. Okay, you're so. making some for us because that's all you're gonna do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so simple. It's so, just well. that. So that's what we yeah. next week. That's what we'll expect from you. Okay. All right. That's what I'll do. <laughs> okay. Well, so. I'm really excited because I've been really into baking, and I have it on my list uh, this weekend to try baked apple cider donuts. And I felt like that was such a American fall thing, but now I'm totally jaded. Anything apple, I'm like, oh, it's not as American as I thought. <laughs> but delicious nonetheless, hopefully, if I can pull it off. Yep. Well, then you need to tell us about it. It's yeah. apple cider donuts. Yeah. That's, okay, take pictures. That sounds very ambitious. I will. Thank you. I know. I've been getting very ambitious in my baking, but I feel like fall is the time to bake. Summer, it's all hot. Fall is when you really want to like get all the goods out. So I'm excited about it. Do you so, okay. fry your donuts? Or I know. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, this is going to be my first time doing it. This recipe, what does it want me to do? I don't know. I assumed not fry, but I could be wrong. But I have before. I've made like hush puppies when you like fry them and all that. So maybe. I haven't looked into it enough yet. <laughs> we'll find out. Oh, no. You bake them. You okay. Bake them. Oh, okay. That sounds yeah less complicated, but still, it'll be interesting, yeah. the flavor. Yeah, for sure. And make Just, a pumpkin spice one, too. Yeah. For Zen specifically. For Zen, exactly. <laughs> I, I love, I love uh, fried foods, but I hate frying food because it's such a mess to 
clean up after. Do you have an air fryer? I have an air fryer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. not quite the same as, no, you, know, I know. you know, like, like a hush puppy. I'm not going to air fry a hush puppy. You I know those are made to be soaked in oil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh. Good old Southern food. Man. Uh, well, shoot. You know what? Even if an apple pie is an American, it's still to me something, a flavor of the fall. Oh, absolutely. That's the best part. I don't think really many other seasons have tastes associated with them. I guess maybe like lemonade in summer, but fall is where you really usher it in with a change of food, I think. Yeah. Yeah, We have like the the seasonal vegetables that you will, you know, bake for Thanksgiving and things like Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like this time of year where, where new stuff gets broken out. And then all the soups that go along with it. Yeah. I go crazy at this time to making soups and things. That's great. Well, that sounds like it's about it for our fall foods from around the world podcast. Um, Thanks for tuning in again. If you want more then check us out on our Facebook or Instagram social media pages where you can find photos of our adventures from around the world, interesting articles and more. Did you say want more? Check out some of our older podcasts on London, Coffee, Bordeaux, and Portugal. And last of all, before we leave, we want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, the University of California, Irvine, Division of Continuing Education. They offer only the best continuing professional education. If you need a career boost, new profession, check them out at ce.uci.edu. Once again, ce.uci.edu. Thank you again for tuning in. Bye, Bye. everyone.